G'day everyone, Jamie Stebbin here and welcome to another edition of the Whole Human Podcast where we have casual conversations on mindset, mental health and being your best human. Today's guest is Peter Sutton, slider to his mates. Uh, despite his calm exterior, Pete Sutton is a self-described experience chaser. His consistent need to seek out new experiences has seen him, along with partner Natal, live across the globe before finally setting on Queensland Sunshine Coast with their two boys. It sounds like an idyllic existence, and for the most part, it has been. Sunshine and surf aside, last year Pete dealt with a severe decline in his mental health that saw him completely depleted of energy, suffering severe depression, anxiety attacks, uh, an inability to sleep, and a three-week stint in a mental health facility, which he sees in retrospect as a traumatic but beautiful experience. An interesting take. Pete is first to admit that his tendency as as a high performer is to overwork himself, uh, to constantly chase a new benchmark and to miss the warning signs of declining mental health that appeared along the way. Pete's most recent experience with depression was not his first, but he hopes will be his last, with the red flags now a little clearer. Pete takes us through his mental health journey with an open calmness that he hopes may simply encourage someone else to start a conversation with their friends, family, or a professional. Please be warned that we do discuss topics that may may cause some distress for some people, including a brief conversation about suicidal ideations, which Pete did experience. Please remember if you or anyone you know is dealing with a mental health concern or crisis, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. There are some incredible pearls of wisdom in this remarkably open chat. I'd encourage you all, grab a cuppa and have a listen. Cheers. Uh, G'day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Whole Human Podcast. Today, it's my great pleasure to bring to you a good mate of mine, an experienced uh, life specialist Pete Slider Sutton. How are you, mate? I'm very well, mate. I haven't been called that. <laughs> I couldn't think of a more uh, a better way to put together in one tiny word all of the things that you've done with yourself over the years. So yeah, I just yeah. I just ran with it. <laughs> <laughs> when I've never actually thought about it too much, but yeah, I've I've, uh, I've liked to do different things over the years. Yeah. Yes, different is a really um, diplomatic way of putting it, mate. Yeah, now, uh, full disclosure, myself and, and Pete, uh, for everybody else, we, we played a bit of footy together back in the day. Um, Pete, back then, mate, you were a, a, an up-and-coming uh, teacher slash principal from memory in the local yeah, area. Yeah. And um, what was the school again you were at? I, well, I was out at uh, Boranor Public School. Boranor, yeah. It's a, yeah. You know, there's more dogs there than kids. Um, and how was that experience, mate? Oh, that was a great experience. You know, um, I started there Stedo with nine boys and six were brothers. So, you know, you spent 20 minutes sorting out the fight off the minibus and, <laughs> and you got down to doing some teaching. But it's a beautiful it. little spot. I think they got like 40, 45 kids out there now. Yeah, well, you know, the whole area is growing, I guess. So, yeah, yeah but it's a nice little spot out that way. Nice little school. Yeah, it's um, all the special places, mate. Yeah, where was the, you know, a place like that, like Boranor, what what springs to mind when I say to you, and without, you know, trying to put one above the other, which one was your favourite? 
In terms of schools? Yeah. Uh, oh, there's something really special about a small school. So yeah, I'd, nice. have to, I'd have to go, you know, rural and remote, you know, as Yeovil before that. Yeah. Um, and there's just something very special about uh, regional community. Um, and unless you've, you know, I grew up in one uh, and then have lived in, you know, big cosmopolitan cities, there's something very earthy uh, and authentic about a Australian, you know, rural, regional, remote community. Um, there's no hiding. They're really special places. Yeah. Awesome, mate. And you, you really segued me nicely there to where you are now. So you're living up on the sunny coast. Yeah, so we're at a place called Budrum, which is just inland from Malulaba. It used to be quite famous for the Budrum Ginger Factory. Yeah. Um, so we came up, uh, we're in our third year now. Um, and, uh, yeah, my wife actually took a job up here. Um, when she got offered it, we just bit the bullet and went, you know, we were going to take this. The boys were at probably not a great age for moving. You know, they were... 15 and 13 but um you know to their credit they've wrapped their head around it and yeah it's been a great move you know we're we're pretty it's a pretty gifted lifestyle up here so um yeah we feel really lucky it's awesome mate and and at the time you know three years ago so we and you had chatted probably a year prior to that yeah i think it'd be about 40 years yep and at the time you were pretty full on in your own business of consulting Uh, within social media consulting, would that be fair? Yeah, and it kind of segued over into um, the more that went on, the more it came around community engagement. So, um, you know, I still did a lot, probably about 50% of my work was, you know, in helping people ramp up their social media, but always with the goal to build positive community relationships. Um, and so, you know, I, as time went on, I started to go into schools that had more challenges um and the more the challenge the more i seemed to like it uh so you know i did a lot in disadvantaged rural remote schooling central west and then all the way out to you know broken hill and between and in between so um yeah it's quite a special job too but mate um i guess we've got to go back a few steps and and find out how you got to that in the first place because there's some pretty serious stuff that happened. You ended up, you were living in Hong Kong, which just randomly took place. Yeah, we'd, um, well, when we left Orange there uh, in the late 90s, we went to the Middle East. So we went to United Arab Emirates. And I did two years there as a principal in an Arab Islamic school. Um, so, you know, country oh. boy. Uh, and that was, you know, quite a, a, a culture. That was a culture shock. There's no other way to describe it. And then, um, the a good way or a bad way, slide. Um, uh, initially, not so good. You know, I kind of it took me to a place of pretty desperate times. Um, and we'd done two years overseas, and, and it wasn't a great work experience. So we just felt that um, we'd like to do it again. And I had contacts in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. so we actually went to Hong Kong and found work there, and then spent the next twelve years there, where we had both our boys, and you know, lived. Uh, uh, again, a really fruitful uh, international experience. Something we treasure even more now, given the yeah, given the state of the world. Situation. You know? so, yeah, we're very happy to be home in Australia, but we were very happy to be over. You know, in that you know thirties to early forties stage of our lives. And mate, even that. So you keep segueing me. Thank you so much. Um, 
coming home this mate coming home wasn't so simple slot no we found um because you know we we went from you know hong kong is a very cosmopolitan place and it's a really dynamic city uh and you led a lifestyle where um you know you just didn't drive down the coast for a holiday you hopped on a plane and went to another part of the world so you know that could be in southeast asia you know americas europe um you know again we're really really lucky to be able to to do that um but when we came back uh, we found that we experienced culture shock in reverse so australia was like coming back to a foreign country um and particularly coming from the city then to to a regional rural place it was really hard to reconnect again um and i think some friendships that i'd had in my younger days um didn't really reignite the way i thought they would and that wasn't anything against those people it was just we'd had two significantly different experiences in you know 12 13 14 years um other people you know really wanted to understand so you know you gravitated towards those a little a little easier i think um based on experience but like that, that for us, mate, un- four, eight, eight months. so so un- unpack the difficulty where you know what was going on that was so uh i think um first of all coming back to australia australia um has some beautiful things about it it also has um you know some some elements that don't look so good and you only see those when you live overseas um so it's fair to, mate you know let's not boot it we can be closed-minded at times oh absolutely so you know and and sometimes in rural and remote that's 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 more magnified so you know i remember just having some conversations with people around how small business could operate or you know online you know selling online which was just kind of really starting to ramp up and whatnot and and some of the polarizing conversations that I had, you know, I was just constantly taking my foot out of my mouth all the time because I would just say things based on experiences, but you quickly learned that they didn't line up very well based on other people's experiences. So, um, you know, and you, we lived and worked with 30, 40 different nationalities. You come back to Australia to a rural remote area and while some of the larger regions are a bit more diverse now, they weren't. You know, they're historically not known for their diversity. Yeah. Um, you know, other than a Chinese takeaway. Yes, or something similar. Yeah, or something similar. So, but but as we move back to those regional areas, you could see that diversification starting to happen. Yeah, nice. Well, that's one good thing. Yeah. And to top it all off, mate, you weren't doing so well. No, I came back. I had um, I had glandular fever, um, and then I'd had a second round of depression um go with that um so skipped very politely straight to number two the the second bout of depression yeah the second one so i I had one um post uh dubai so um and then i had another one in in hong kong when we came back so and it's interesting and i've only only really learned and realized that oh that um after my third bout um last year that um, what were the I knew what some of the markers were for me, mm. but um, with the third go this time, 
um, the markers are very, very clear, and maybe that comes with age and experience. <laughs> I don't know, but um, you know, I'm a I'm a neat little cocktail of perfection, um, wanting to experiment, and then pushing myself as hard as I possibly can. And those three themes are very strong in every bout. Yeah, right. So take us through, I guess, what those markers look like, mate. Like we tell me about. I've sort of forced you to play cards here. No, um, so bout number two happened uh, exiting Hong Kong. Is that correct? Yeah, I've done. Um, so a lot of it sits, for me, a lot of it sits around um, pushing the boundaries in work. Yep. Um, so I was, I've done a lot of work. Most of my work sits in, in change management. So um, that's a pretty stress, stressful place to sit. Um and in Hong Kong, I was involved in a job in the last four years of the school I was working at where we did a lot of internal change. So you ran change projects. Mm. Um, and when you're inside an institute, you know, an organisation, it's far more difficult to run change than being, say, someone on the outside. Yeah. Um, I was also studying the masters at the same time. Um, and then we had, we had two young boys as well. So um, for me... Um, it really is about not being fully aware of what my personal limits are. Yep. Okay. And we're getting there, though, mate. You're, you're slowly learning them. <laughs> <laughs> you can underscore the slow. You can underscore and bold the slowly, mate. I think. <laughs> um, I want to know how it manages. Choice first, and, and it's always been about choice first. Oh, that's yep. really interesting. I'm going to go to that. Um, so I can chase the shiny a little bit, and I think that's um, – or chase a really high benchmark. Mm. And I did this in my sporting life too, Stato. You know, I always chased – not that I was a serious sports person, but I always chased the benchmark in community sport. Um, yeah. We could be a better club or I could be a better player or I could be a better club person, you know. Mm. Um, it was always about improvement but with – I think, a skewed interpretation to get to a goal. Yeah, okay. And, yeah, that can be quite debilitating. Mate. Yeah, and I think some of that, you know, some of that's in upbringing as well. Um, you know, and I had a beautiful upbringing. My parents are gorgeous. Um, you know, it's it sort of a principle, mate, you know, in the 60s and 70s and the 80s that it's pretty, um, you know, part of that is contextual too of, of, of our era. You know, it was very black and white and, it was high expectation and mm. to be honest, I thought high expectation was a really good thing. Um, I'm probably not so in favour of it now given that I hold myself to such high and extreme expectations. And how did those bouts manifest physically? Slider? What was the culmination? Uh, I, I've been described, it's interesting, um, I've, I had a heart specialist describe me as having a high-performing nervous system, so I don't think that's helped. Um, so I can be a, a fairly uh, I'm very good at masking my own angst, but I can be um, I can be quite so anxiety was huge. Okay. Um, and look, some of these might be common to other people, but these are my personal experience. So anxiety was significant. Um, you'd also have. Uh, uh, loss of sleep, so yep. you know, it really became an insomniac. And as soon as your sleep goes, then there's not a whole lot of balance in your thinking. Um, probably in the early bouts, I found 
um, home and comfort in alcohol. Um, and I think, and then you withdrew. So, and I know that's a common, you know, you, I, I loss of energy to be able to participate in, in the very basic things. So you withdrew, your conversations become very minimalistic. Your world narrows significantly because you're just trying to grab hold of, you know, what little energy that you have to try yeah. and participate. So your participation becomes very minimalistic. Um, you know, Stido, you, you've known me and, and it is in my nature to be fairly gregarious and outgoing and, and so that all... So that, a couple of the words I'd use. <laughs> so that, you know, that... That went very quickly, you know, loss of character, loss of um, loss of purpose. And I think purpose has always sat really highly with me. It's amazing, mate. So you know, Pete, that I work in that mental health space these days yeah. um, quite proudly, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and the one thing we need to do before it gets too much is withdraw. Yeah. And yet we push through until the body says it's time. Yeah, and I've done that on um, three occasions and I certainly don't intend doing it on a fourth. Um, you know, the, the impact is so significant, not just on yourself, but, um, you know, your friends, um, yeah, obviously your immediate family and your extended family. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, people can really, um, people can really see it in you. Um, I know I can see it in others, mainly just from my own experiences, but, you know, um, the eyes are always a pretty dead giveaway and the really sallow look in the face and, um, you know, just that, that, that inability or, you know, to be able to engage. Uh, I think what's, is, what's something, Pete, you wished someone had pushed towards you previously to perhaps nip it in the bud a little earlier? What's something that's working now? That's a really tricky one for me to answer because I'm very good at masking and I am, um, particularly in the last, in the third go-round, um, I actually didn't know what was happening yeah, right. until really late. Um, and, you know, it's only in hindsight, talking with Natal, talking with some close friends that, you know, they could see that, you know, I was probably a little less patient than what I used to be, um, just really tiny little things. But especially um, I had no ability, I just drove myself and I, I had no, no real ability to monitor that. And we're in, a, we're in a, I suppose, the environment, if you look at, if you took a societal picture, you know, and you look at the markers of success, you know, it's wealth, it's, you know, physical items, it's um, fairly narrow definition of a man. Uh, yeah. and, and then the same could go for women also, you know, there's some narrow definitions around those. And I think um, some of that stuff is in you, some of that stuff is, um, you know, the messaging that you're getting societally. Um, yeah, so I, it's a really hard one for me to give you an answer on because each time, by the time I got to a point of real seriousness, I actually knew that I was in real trouble. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, 
one good thing that I hear in that statement, Peter, is that there was a level of awareness. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always been pretty good at at reflecting on where I'm at. <laughs> Although that mm. what I've just said to you probably you know doesn't line up. Um, but some of that, but early as you're younger, you know that reflection was more about pushing to striving better. Yeah. Yep. Whereas I think now it's more about an ability to say no. Oh, uh, so much power in that. Yeah, even in my new workplace now, um, it's just the little things um, and it's really more about it's not going, no, I'm not doing that. It's just more about I'm actually approaching it from this angle for this reason. Mm. Um, and, you know, finding the courage to have those conversations is sometimes a bit tricky, but, uh, you know, when I've had them, people have been amazing. Um, the more open that I've been, you know, that's been reciprocated, ten, you know, exponentially back to me. And let's be honest too, mate, that's that's pretty much a new thing. Um, not not new today, but yeah, it's an evolving skill set for most businesses to be able to deal with the mental health of their staff. Yeah. And however that looks and be able to manage those people and shift their expectations should they need to, which is... Yeah. Mate, if, if that's what's happening in your role, cool, that's great. I think um, probably the other, just going back to your question that I probably didn't answer, I think isolation was um, if there was one thing that I um, am acutely aware of now is the amount of contact that I, that I must have in my life um, and the variety of, of, of that contact. So I'd... I'd Part of that was the role I was in. I'd become isolated, um, working for myself. Yep. And COVID added another layer on top of that. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean that uh, that that aside is a tricky one, right then yeah. and there. Yeah. And so, how does that isolation manifest, mate? Is it are you talking isolation through withdrawal, or are you just you're still talking to people, but it's not the mask is so stuck on that you're not actually connecting with them. I'd say it's both, and then okay. and then the two will increase um, with the graver the situation. You know, the 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 sicker that you feel, um, and you know, it, it took me a bit of practice in terms of getting back to where I am today. You know, feeling really healthy and strong. You know, I'd encourage Natal to make me go out uh, and <laughs> to get back into that space, and you know, get your confidence back, and um, which I know probably some people would say, you know, that we would know. Um, what Sato not confident uh, and yet um, you know I would say back to that well mate we're all human we all have our you know our nuances and and um, I was just pretty good at masking some of mine. I like that mate and it's nice that you can uh, be honest about it because that's a big part of the the journey I think. Yeah that that element takes a lot of courage though Steto and I can understand where you know when when people particularly when people discuss suicide and they discuss trying to get meaning around people taking their own lives. I, I find some of the, the responses to that are very narrow. Um, you, well, know, you know, you hear the, the, the clangor that you hear is, you know, how selfish that is. And to be, to be really frank with you, my experience in that is that life has narrowed so much that the choices are just being chipped away from you. Yeah, mate. Yep. Uh, until there's almost nothing left. And then that's when that whole pointlessness of life, I think, starts to become questioned. And I was lucky enough where, 
you know, I knew that was happening and then people could see that around me. So it was like, you know, um, we've got to do something. And so how did this last bout manifest, Pete? What was the final? Um, for me, it, it started really strangely, Stedo, when we were back in Bathurst still, and it was not long after I'd spoken with you. Um, we jokingly call it in the Sutton household, Dad's pretend heart attack. Um, <laughs> but I, I got up one night and um, I went to the toilet and passed clean out. Yeah, right. and, um, we called the ambos and whatnot, and they actually, a lot of my symptoms, you know, were that similar to a heart attack. So I um, got taken to the base in, in Bathurst and um, my heart rate rated dropped so bad they performed CPR on me and, and then, uh, you know, to keep it stable. And then they actually treated me for a heart attack, so um, where they thrombolise you and give you um, a really powerful blood-thinning drug. Um, and that's a, not a very pleasant experience to have. But um, when I, I got taken up to the Orange Base to the, that amazing cardiac unit there and I spent a week there where they did all these tests on me and nothing came up. Um, and then two years ago, I had another one up here, um, same scenario, and, uh, you know, got dragged off to hospital, checked everything. I was only in overnight this time because we kind of knew what was going on. And it wasn't until um, that I'd come out the other side of, of this third bout that um, my counsellor had said to me, Peter, do you know you're experiencing severe panic attacks? Um and that this is how they've manifested manifested this time. Um, so, and, you know, I've, I've had experienced panic attacks before. They're very real to people who experience them. Um, you know, they're very, they're very paralysing. Um, I've had them in all sorts of contexts. Um, but nothing like those, nothing like the pretend heart attacks. So, um, yeah, I have a very healthy heart apparently, but... Uh, yeah, so it wasn't until um, they were the early triggers. Yep. And then as things got closer, um, I didn't realise it, but the medication I'd been on for, geez, nearly nearly 20 years had stopped working. Yeah. Uh, I had a good, I had a conversation, got a phone call with a mate of ours, Damien Tui, and I remember getting off from the phone from him going, I don't feel good about the conversation that I've just had and I haven't been as open with him. That I should have been. Okay. And and then just uh um yeah, I became couldn't sleep. Um had basically, you know, I was having panic attacks when I went for a swim. We were doing a lot of zooming at the time. I remember I was having panic attacks before I'd go online and do my work. Um, so that's a pretty big um the energy pretty, too pretty people. To mask your way through that must have been debilitating. Well, yeah, you were, you were, you know, when you consult, you perform to a certain degree. Um, so there, there was these big highs and lows and they were just getting bigger uh, and the lows were getting bigger. And I, I remember I took my son to our GP here and she pulled me aside and said, you're not well. And I said, oh, I don't feel great. And she dragged me back in and, you know, that was pretty much we had a conversation there and then and, and things literally did go to water. Um, yep. And, you know, I was, I was really lucky um, 
from Kudos now. to her, mate, for um, spotting that. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, Natal had picked up a range of things and you, it, it's just that. I wish he had, I could not wrap the, the cliche around it if it's a blokey thing, but there is an element of that of, you know, I'm the male running my own business. There was a pressure around, um, uh, you know, making sure that there was income. Um, you know, that's that can put an enormous amount of strain, not only on yourself, on your relationships, that sort of stuff. So um, they're all very real, very valid um, points. So, so, so there was this real, um, coming together of medication no longer working, um, job wasn't right, and COVID played a little element in there. You know, obviously I've become an insomniac. Um, the energy levels were, you know, all over the place. Um, and then you just withdrew. Yeah. So the, the safety was to withdraw. And so what, what happened from that? That doctor's meeting. You, you talked about going to water. Um, what was what? What did she? So for me, going to water was, you know, I obviously had two other experiences, and I just said to her really directly, "I think this is where I'm at." And um, at that stage, you know, they call it suicidal ideation. Um, yep. The term for it, I began, began to ideate around um, what that might look like. Um, mm -hmm. So these are really. They're very difficult conversations to have, um, but the admission of that, the the it's a it's almost like a, a first wave of relief comes over you that you you've actually you're admitting to yourself and to someone else having to articulate it um, means you go wow. And once I'd done that, um, it was very quick for me. I was really lucky. Um, you know, I got out to a great psychiatrist, and and um, he was. He was really good. He said, uh, there's two options, mate. There's some things not working for you that we need. We can change really quickly. We can admit you into a, a mental health facility um, to do a drug change with you um, and then also just do some, you know, interim support around where you're at um, or you can do that at home. And at that stage, which was a really difficult decision, but, um, you know, for Natal and I, it was it was... I just felt everybody had been through enough. Um, and at that point of admission, I'd realised just how much everybody had gone through. So there's a real sense of guilt that goes along with that admission. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I got into a great um, private, I was very lucky to go into a private facility up here uh, where I spent three weeks. Um, and the turnaround out of that initial you know, really difficult time was pretty quick. Um, difficult, not easy, mm. you know, really daunting um, and really confronting, you know. Um, there's a lot of fear about going into a place like that. You know, well, I had a lot of personal fear. But, you know, spending time with those, with people, not those people, but with people like myself who were suffering um, from a whole range of conditions, you know, they're just in there doing the best they can. Um, and there was a whole whole cross section of people from you know bulimics to people who are at varying stages of depression. Um, you know, the whole range that you could think of were, were in this particular unit. Um, 
yeah, it was, you know, I look back on it now, it's quite a touching experience. It's quite a, um, it's an experience I really value as, as traumatic. And don't get me wrong, the high trauma around it. Mm. But very rich. I look back on it as a very rich, enriching experience just from, um, you know, and met men and women younger than me, men and women older than me. Um, That's the thing with this mental health stuff, mate. It just doesn't give a shit. No, and I, I think um, so. I was very lucky, you know. I spent the first week drugged off my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> One week down, no memory. <laughs> yeah, sleeping, you know, eleven and twelve hours a day, um, just eating in between and and doing, you know, doing. They made you physically work. You know, you had to do some physical activity, but then you did you know, a lot of group therapy. There wasn't a lot going in Stedo at that stage, you know, just because. Um, the body was coming off one thing and, and going to another, and then there was a steady stream of um, black, you know, black humour that, mm. that that gets you through as well. And Pete, was there a time? So, I, mate, we talked about this before we started recording, and and it's always really hard. <clears throat> excuse me, when when there's people we know, mates, bloke I met down the town, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, we put this, you, you know, I put you up on a pedestal and. To see you uh, broken like that, it's hard for me to to see it, to feel it. But talking to you in this moment, I, I get it. I understand how tough yeah. it must have been. And then I, I pop my, you know, you do that micro thought and I pop myself in that position and I think I'll be in there going, what's this fucking shit? Can we just get on with it? Mm, mm. How much of that was going? Am I making that up? Um. Well, again, you know, you, you, again, your life is very narrow. So to be honest with you, Stedo, um, I just wanted to sleep. Mm. So once I'd kind of been in, um, I, you know, you, you work it out, everybody. <laughs> you, you work it out what the drill is, you know, what time medication time is, fit your, you know, <laughs> your thinking meals in and around it. We've got COVID going on, so everybody had to sit separately. Um, yeah. You know, so, so it was once you kind of had the lay of the land and I felt comfortable in there, I then gave myself permission to feel terrible. Awesome. So I'd never, up until that point, I'd never given myself permission to go, mate, you're in a real spot of bother, it's okay. Um, and then just uh, knowing that I, I've been really lucky every time I've always had, I've just attracted really good help. Um, and this was no different. Every time I've had the right counsellor, the right doctor, the right, you know, no matter where I've been. Um, I think the greatest distress was um, was just watching my family cope with it. So I'd given my permission to myself to, to, to go, I'm a crook. And I think that was the real strength of going into a facility, you know, into, into hospital. Yeah. Um, it gave, in a sense, it gave you know my two boys and my and Natal space. Uh, in another sense, it it was hard for Natal. I'll, I'll never forget the look on her face. You know, I was standing on a balcony and she was walking away. And and um, we've often talked about you know just like a sliding doors moment almost. Um, really. Yeah, wrapped high in emotion. Mm. Um, so for me, it was about sleep. It was about food. Uh, I set 
no goals, <laughs> which is really hard for me to do. I, I was going to say I, for you, that's that'd be really tough. Um, and I was just guided by um, guided by what the, the the you know the highly skilled people told me to do, and I just did it. So the the last ounce of strength I had was to hang on to um, the love of my two boys and my wife. So I narrowed down to that field, and whatever I did at that point, I was doing not just for myself, but for those three other people. The rest I didn't give a shit about. That's beautiful, mate. That puts you in the exact space you needed to be. Yeah. Um, and then just doing, doing yourself as told. <laughs> <laughs> Not always been your biggest strength. No, it hasn't, mate. It hasn't. Well, mate, thank you for that. What is, <clears throat> what are you doing for yourself for yourself now on a daily basis? What are the, what are the things you're making sure you uh, do for to either fill your joy or to, to take care of you, to make sure that you are your best self for those three guys. Yeah, so I think um, having a good team of people around you still, like so I have um, geez, nearly 12 months to the date since I um, went into hospital and I just went and saw my psychiatrist for the last time last week, so I ticked that one off. But, you know, just having a good team of um, uh, specialists around you, just, you know, of, of medical practitioners, whether that, you know, I've got a great psychologist, she... You know, at this point in time in my life, she did a thing called narrative therapy with me. Um, so she didn't do cognitive-based therapy. And um, so, you know, if her and I was very much building a relationship together and, and determining what my future would look like. So she was a really critical piece. And then obviously my GP was a critical piece as well. Just two or three mates. I had one mate um, who did the whole journey with me up here. Um, <laughs> Right down to, you know, I had no energy left. I'd just come out of hospital. We'd go to the beach and sometimes we'd swim, sometimes we'd walk and talk. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily about me. You know, it's just about a whole range of things and put some humour in it. So I think you don't have to have a lot of mates. I, I have a lot of acquaintances, um, but I would consider that there's probably, you know, 10 or less that... Um, they really understand me well and, you know, so I think that's important. The big one I really had to take on was to um, get out of what I was doing professionally. Um, that was probably the key driver in this latest uh, bout for me. So, so to let go of your business. Yeah. That business you'd built for, what did you tell me, 11, 12 years. Yeah, and weirdly enough, it had its best financial return <laughs> in its last two years. As is always. <laughs> um, so that must have been tough too, mate. I really struggled with that decision. You know, there was that element of, oh, am I walking away from something? You know, is that failure? Is that, um, but, you know. It turns off bravery to me, strength. And funnily enough, I made the decision really quickly. There was kind of like a – it was bubbling underneath, but I didn't realise it for about a month. Um, and I'd been, you know, just doing low-level work and I'd sleep and then get up and do a Zoom and then go back to bed. Like that was how I was operating, which wasn't sustainable. And, and you know, 
you, you had those key outside eyes of a GP and a counsellor and the wife just going, this is not sustainable. So I had to kind of find the health to make this next courageous step to go, I'm going to walk away from this. And the counsellor and this process of narrative therapy was really critical in that because she said, well, you know, this is your skill set. What would you really like to do? What would you really like to discover at, you know, 52? Mm. Most people are thinking about switching off. You're all looking down the barrel of going, oh, you know, i got 10 years to go. i got my super, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, Sorry, mate. No, you're right. So having those people around is really critical. Um, exercise is fundamental, um, but it's exercise with a difference. So it's not um, I want to get fit. Mm. It's exercise for um, it'll give me a nice steady high that'll last four to five hours during the day. What does that look like? Um, some days I run the dog. Um, I generally pull something like I used to. <laughs> so I don't run very far anymore. <laughs> uh, there's generally a hamstring gone or a calf or something. Uh, I do a lot of ocean swimming, Stato. So I, okay. um, I'll go and swim, you know, three quarters of a K to a K in the ocean. Um, and that's the breathing in that is um, you have to be very measured in your breath. So the breathing does wonders and you just blow it in and out salt water and you, you get up and get out really refreshed. Uh, a little bit of meditation when I can. Yep. Um, again, not trying to be a wonderful meditator, just, uh, you know, making sure it makes some time out. Stillness and breathing. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so practice a lot of breathing, uh, and I have done over the years for quite a while. It's, I've always known that's a good technique to, you know, bring the levels of anxiety down. Um, knowing the signs of when I've hit my limit. Um, I generally just go really scatty. Yep. Um, uh, sleep. So, um, you know, my sleep's aided at the moment and will be for a little while with sleeping tablets. Um, mm. But, you know, making sure I get between six and eight hours of, of good sleep. Yep. Uh, um, so, you know, that just practising a nice bedtime routine. Uh, the sleep's probably the last thing that's still coming back for me. Um, It'll take a while, mate. That energy level, um, you know, is out of whack for such a long time. Yeah, so I'm, I think uh, I haven't drunk for about six, seven years, so that had to go and that went last time. So yeah. um, that just, you know, just didn't didn't agree with me anymore um, in terms of how I recovered from it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, you know, up here it's quite easy not to be a party animal because everybody gets up early, so they go to bed early. Um, it's kind of a nice. way of life up here. Um, just finding, you know, connective time that's of high quality. It may not be long. You know, checking in with Natal. Um, she has a really busy professional life as well, but you know, connecting with her daily, checking in. Um, my boys are very good Yeah, checking in. I actually check in with them. You know, I say, oh, how's dad travelling? And um, they'll crack a joke and then tell me up front. Um, and they probably use my sense of humour as a marker on that. Well, that's a wonderful gift to give those boys, the, um, the gift of accountability to you. 
yeah, I've never actually thought of it like that. And it was interesting. We were just talking around the dinner table and I said, oh, you know, it's a year. And they, my oldest said, oh, I'd forgotten about that. He said, you know, it was such, you know, it was it obviously had a real impact on them. Mm. But I hope, um, you know, I hope that they've observed someone who's not only fallen down but, you know, just said, well, we're getting back up and this is what it looks like. Yeah, mate, I think that that's a really powerful message. Mm. Really mm. powerful. So, yeah, I think that's probably about it, Stedo. You've got to... Um, Oh, that'll do. The other thing I keep a careful check on is just our social life. I think sometimes, as much you know, now that it's been taken away from us, we we crave for it. But um, I think sometimes we probably said, you know, my capability and, and my energy levels aren't as great as say Natal's are. She's got more longevity than I have. That was quite a tricky thing to accept, actually. Yeah. Um, so you just keep well, your eye on the life of the party anymore, Peter. No, <laughs> you see, it's just completely hit my ego. That one's mm. dead. nailed it. Um, yeah, I think, uh, and then obviously, I'm in a new professional role, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing workplace. And, you know, it's ten or twelve of us, very focused but tight knit. We work hard, but we. Um, uh, it's got a lot of purpose, and I think the other factor was that I'd, I've always had to do something that had purpose, and I think I'd lost, um, not that my last role didn't have purpose, but I'd lost the energy to be purposeful in it. Mm. Yeah, being around people is really, really important uh, on a daily basis. Working in a team is significant for me. Oh, that's good, mate. I was going to ask you about this, the, the connection to the Central West. Do you think... Being on the sunny coast has helped with the recovery rather than hindered. I think it has. I had um, some clients I spoke to that I had a really, really long-term connection with. Mm. Um, some others I didn't. And it was funnily enough, one I did and I love her. She said to me not long back, she goes, you were really sick last year, weren't you? I went, yeah, I was. That obvious, and she went, "Yeah." So I think, I think in a sense, it was helpful that I didn't know, didn't have as many connections up here. It just took the pressure off a bit. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what I was trying to get to. Is I yeah, think that I, I, I sometimes that's better. I don't think you can underestimate that pressure. Look, all of that is inside your head, and it is highly skewed. But I think the important thing for people to remember is it's real to that person. Yep. So there's this, you know, excessive fear, you know, it's a real fear of, you know, what will people think? Um, you know, how can I interact? You know, and then the energy to, to, to be that person that they may have known you as. All right, mate. Let's switch it up a tiny bit. I want to. I want to know about the boys. Are they footballers? What's the story? Are they now <laughs> surfers? They um, they had to switch from being dirt bikers to um, to surfers. So I got uh, Cal. He's eighteen in about three weeks. He's um, he's a six foot two winger. Um, yeah, nice. He's six foot three winger and fullback. Um, and uh, he can tackle way better than I ever could, that's for sure. Uh, that's not an achievement. 
You don't reckon it would take much to get past my tackling benchmark? <laughs> well, you're some sort of turnstile. <laughs> That's um, not fair. That's not fair. Yeah, he loves his surfing. Um, so, yeah, he took to surfing really, really quickly. Uh, Jude, so Cal's kind of in that space of, you know, finishing year 12, mocks coming up. Um, lovely to watch him, you know, come into that early stage of adulthood. You know, they hop in and out on an hourly, daily basis. Oh, yeah, minute to minute. Yeah, but he's it's more, you know, towards the adult end and some of the conversations are striking that you can uh, that we can actually have with both of them. Jude's 15, um, he probably took a little longer to find his mojo, but he found that in a fishing boat in a tinny. Awesome. Um, so, oh, mate, and that's caused there's some, uh, you know, we, we really had to learn how to fish. You know, we had the anchor flying out at one stage down the, 100-kilometre freeway and the bus pulling up at the lights and the bus driver opening the window going, mate, you know, your anchor's flying out the back. <laughs> to, oh, uh, to the wheel falling off steado, to oh, uh, multiple breakdowns. But he loves fishing uh, and he loves his, uh, loves his boogie boarding. So, yeah, he's into the surf as well. He's year 10. Yep. Um, and he's more... Um, Cal's more open, not sure, you know, going through that stage of not sure where I really sit professionally and or mm. what I want to pursue. And we've just said that's okay. Take some time out. Um, they both work. Jude works, the youngest one works in a fish and chip shop and, you know, doesn't mean Pluto pup when he gets asked. Good to know. <laughs> I'll be up that way. Yeah. And Cal, he's, uh, he works for Tommy Hilfiger. So he's in retail. So they're, you know, Good independent fellows and their values that we, I suppose, have strived to instill and still strive to instill. I love it, mate. And it's a work in progress. Um, and, you know, they've seen their dad, their hero, fall, rise, fall and rise again. Yeah. And the lesson in that for those boys is pretty powerful, mate. And the fact that you gave them that permission to, to hold you to account. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Right, I think it's really special. Yeah, they're the immeasurables and they're the things that... Well, they know. They just know. They know, but, yeah, in the, in the broader world, they probably they don't really count and that's okay. Um, yeah. I don't need that's the broader world to know, yeah. Mate, I've got one last thing for you, one, one big question. Sure. All right. I want to know the one big lesson learnt in life that you've taken away and who or what circumstance gave you that lesson. Oh, gee, that's a hard one, mate. For me, I'd have to say learning. And learning has come along in so many different forms. Mm. Um, so, you know, professionally it comes in, you know, mentors when you're young. Um, it turns up on a daily basis in experience. Mm. Uh, it turns up in unusual or sometimes tough conversations. Uh it turns up in a look. Um, <laughs> you know, it turns up in um, sunrise. Um, I find it turns up in the ocean pretty regularly. Uh, what else? And I've been, I, I find it turns up in just the experience. So, you know, I, and the tale I was just talking about is, you know, we've been experience chasers. Yep. You know, we've lived overseas. We've never really said no to things. 
Mm. And that's given us a raft of life experience that um, you can't quantify, nor would I. Um, so I think that's been the gift. And then out of that, there's always there's layers of learning. So there'll be, you know, something immediate about situation, context, person, conversation, you know, experience. And then I think there's um, reflection on that. Um, Growth opportunities. Yeah, and I think the, the reflection for me is always um, be better but don't have yourself over it. <laughs> oh, mate, that's... Um... That's the big one right there. Guilt. And that's guilt. my makeup. You know, I'm I'm made up to lean. You know, to be that. Um, so to 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 unpack that and let some of that go is still pretty big work. And yeah, that's still a work in progress. You know, I, I know I pull myself up in the new job. Going, you're going pretty hard. Let's just dial it down a notch. You know, um, the sun will come up again tomorrow. Yeah, and I try and try and worry, worry less. Yeah, I've been a big worrier. And that one again, not always easy. No. But the awareness is the key, mate. So the fact that you know these things. Yeah. Being able to sit in them and deal with them and push back sometimes. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, hopefully this conversation, you know, opens up just a fleck of, a fleck of thought would be the ideal, um, mm. uh, you know, that someone could potentially go away or, or go, yeah, that sounded interesting to me. Um, I might look at how that happens in my life. You know, That'd be pretty special. Yeah, I think the little, maybe this comes, you know, as we're in our 50s, it's the, the little things become more important. Um, yeah, but I, I, I'd have to go back to, to learning on that one, yeah. I love it, mate. That was really powerful. I'm glad I asked and I'm glad great, I put you on this question. <laughs> Thank <did>. you. Thank <laughs> you. I think you got a better response without thinking, mate. Yeah, if I could add one last thing just on that. I think um, with that learning, you know, uh, being very open to the lumps and bumps um, and learning how to experience those. What a great way to finish. Pete Slider Sutton, thanks so much for being on the Whole Human Podcast, mate, and thank you for still being here. Pretend heart attacks and all. <laughs> it's a joy, mate, and uh, it's been a great friendship along the way, mate, so thank you. Mm -hmm.